Welcome to the Haber Show. The NBA Finals are coming to an end. The bubble is about to burst. So it is time to bring back the Haber Show's official bubble senior correspondent from ESPN's The Undefeated senior writer Mark J. Spears, who is on day 87 in the bubble. So we'll look back on his time in the bubble. We'll get his finals MVP pick before game five. We'll talk Myers Leonard's fascinating role in social justice in the bubble. Uh, And we'll also get into why Mark secretly slipped a certain DVD in a racist Denver Post writer's mailbox, one of his colleagues. We'll also talk about his new incredible book, The Spencer Haywood Rule, which he co-wrote with Gary Washburn about battles, basketball, and the making of an American iconoclast. This is an amazing book. Learned so much. Uh, always good to get back up with uh, with Mark Spears, who is uh, as big of a wine snob as you'll ever meet in the NBA. So without further ado, Mark Spears. Mr. Mark Spears, thank you for joining me. Um, day 87 for you. Just did the math. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me. 87, man. You are, um, you're in it. You, the, the light is there. You can see the light at the end of the tunnel. You're almost there, man. How does it feel? You know, I kind of have had it in perspective or tried to keep it in perspective the whole time. Like when I found out the last day of the finals could be October 13th, I was like, October 14th is my day. Anything before <laughs> that is like gravy, extra, um, uh, look, it's going to be weird leaving because, I, you know, when you're here that long and it's like safe here and I'm, I'm watching all these stuff about the dangerous outside and the scary outside, what people in the real world are doing and them not getting tested. And I, I think I'm a hibernate, man. I, I'm I like I'm like I got my plastic gloves ready for the plane. I'm going to have some really good mask on a plane like I'm, I'm scared to be around the general public and and so this is probably the safest place on earth you feel like you're on mars a little bit just like how detached you are from the rest of society yeah (laughs) i am because like i talk to people who leave and they're like freaked out when they leave oh really there's a little post-traumatic uh you know just a an exit uh hangover or something yeah it's like they go to the airport and then they see everybody at the airport and they're like they might have it they might have it like because, you know, we don't have it because it's funny. It's like people are like, yeah, you know, you can need to quarantine when you go home. Like, no, I need to quarantine from you. <laughs> like you, you've been in the real world. You're not. I'm I'm good. I'm safe. I'm getting tested every day. And it's, it's like I was watching the local. I've been watching the local news pretty much every morning. And they're like, yeah, and by the Oakland airport now you could get testing, rapid testing for free. And I'm like. I might go once a week because I, I like used to going every day now. I actually, you'll laugh at this time. I uh, talked to Chris Haynes the other day about yesterday about, yo, they got McDonald's in the, in the airport and they got Chick-fil-A. Like, uh, <laughs> like we, we, I, I went on the Orlando website, the, the airport website to see what food they had in the oh, airport because we've been eating convention food the whole time. You know, we get you get takeout here and there, and you got sushi once. Yeah, but it's not the same. I live in the Bay. They do yeah. sushi really, really well. <laughs> I'm a food. I'm a foodie, and and I'm trying to think like the, There's this place called Sofritos. 
and Sienna that I've been getting takeout from has been really, really good. So shout out to them. But we, we've gone in a restaurant like twice since we've been here. You're talking about a foodie dude who's used to doing that. Like not, not saying that we would go inside a restaurant now, but I, even before I left, I was eating outside, yeah. you know, yeah. and just, I, it, I, I just think it's little things like really like I saw a meme with Michael Jordan doing a commercial holding an uh, egg McMuffin. I'm like, that's going to be me on sa- Saturday or, <laughs> or Monday or when I get out of here, I'll be at the airport with my egg McMuffin all excited and all happy, man. Like, it's I gotta say, egg McMuffins, so underrated. You can have an egg McMuffin any time of day. Those things, and you can, it's a guilty pleasure, or it's a guilt-free food. Like, of yeah. all the things you can eat at fast food, egg McMuffins are actually not that bad for you. No, or you can get the egg white delights. That's right. A lot of people don't know a little turkey bacon or is it turkey? No, no, it's still it's still the Canadian bacon, but it's egg white. Well, I'm thinking of the Starbucks that I get. It's a similar thing. Yeah, the turkey sausage thing at Starbucks, excellent too. Yep. That's a good healthy meal. So So do you have a Starbucks there? I'm my Starbucks. I make my own coffee. Like seriously, I have a um actually, and this is one of the cups, to my left, I grind my own beans. And I make my coffee in an old school Mr. Coffee Maker. So are you I like pay. LeBron? You can't sleep because you're just constantly IVing coffee? No, I can sleep. Okay. I, I, I can sleep. Uh, but I drink a lot of coffee. It's, it's pretty sad, actually. You know, I drink about six cups a day. Mm. <laughs> it, to the point Yeah, but now you don't have any, like, you don't, like. I don't think the caffeine even has an effect on me. Yeah. Yeah. Just there, you know. I just, I love, it's, it's kind of, everybody got their thing for me. And I got a wine fridge in my room too. It's, it's wine and it's coffee. That's, that's my thing. So did you have to, like, now that you're 87 days, I mean, I, when we had our first pod together during the bubble, it was, you were in quarantine. Yeah. That was a long time ago. Your stash, your wine cellar there in your, in your room. Is it dwindling? Like, do you, do you have a bottle like set aside? Do you have a, some, some champagne set aside for the final night? Funny you said that. I should show it to you. You want me to grab what I have? Yeah, yeah, I want to see it. On. Well, one, this shows you how like crazy I am. <laughs> Guess what this is? That is a, that's got to be like wine luggage, like a wine yeah. cooler that you can travel with. It's a incredible. Wine, it's a wine suitcase, brother. It's not a game. I told you it's not a game. How many bottles can you put in there? 14. <laughs> Compliments. You don't have to worry about food. it breaking or anything like that. No, that is... no, no. It's 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 secure. It's 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 like closed in. It's not refrigerated, but it, it kind of keeps some of the coolness. Shout out to Charles Krug Winery. They got this for me. And let me show you this real quick. Mm, gotta see this. Yeah, Spears is a is as big of a wine snob as anybody or a wine uh, wine fan. Um, in a league that has tons of uh, weenophiles, I think that's the right word terminology. Um, Spears, Spears is right there with CJ McCollum. Even so CJ McCollum, like you did a sit down with CJ about yeah this stuff. So you don't. So, play. but this isn't this isn't wine. This is somebody. This is gifted to me. I've been gifted a few things since I've been here. Josh Hart lost the bet with me on Arsenal and uh. He's a Chelsea fan. I'm an Arsenal guy, so I have some duck horn wine from him. I'm bringing that back with me. CJ McCollum gave me a bottle of his wine. I'm bringing that back. 
somebody else who I can't name gifted me a really nice bottle of wine. That was Taking really that back. That was really nice by LeBron. That was really nice. Nah, it wasn't by him. <laughs> but <laughs> so this is champagne. It's a pretty bottle too. I almost want to take this home, but I I feel like I need to drink something important before I leave out of here. Mm-hmm. And this doesn't it look like this is good. Uh yeah. Yeah, I'm afraid to Google that right now. Yeah, so drink responsibly, people. But ruin art, ruin art, champagne. Ruin art, champagne. Okay, I'm gonna blanc de blanc. Okay. Another thing I would tell people is get Isaiah Thomas's champagne. Outstanding. Yes. So is this is this a thing where uh, drink responsibly too? Yes. NBA players, when they put their name on a bottle, is this like NBA players rapping? Is it like we appreciate it, but like they, they can't hang. Most most of them can't hang with legit uh, bottles of wine. But no, what would you CJ, say is- CJ took it very, very seriously. In fact, I think his wine was like, uh, it's it's been bottled, for, it was bottled for a year. It was still pretty young. I think he, he would like it to be a little older mm-hmm. before he brought it out to the world. But, you know, he, he was there tasting figuring out what the best wine was in Oregon with, with um, uh, the, uh, I'm trying to remember the group that he's doing with, with, but no, he went through the whole process and, and, and did it with a winemaker and, and, and it's taken a lot of pride in his wine. And he, I think he brought like 80 bottles here or something like that. 80 to hundred bottles here. He had his room at like 62 degrees. Yeah. <laughs> basically wearing, entomb himself into a wine yeah he's probably wearing hoodies and, and big sweatsuits every night to stay warm but no it, it, he he took a, takes a lot of pride in it and so no it, it, this ain't like you know some e40 moscato you know <laughs> like no not to disrespect e40 but does no. he really have a moscato yeah wow wow my mother also has is the businessman that he has, he also has a, a Lumpia fast food restaurant uh, stop, mm. which I haven't been to. I can't wait to check check that out. But so maybe maybe the day is Friday. So would you leave that night or would you leave? Like if, if the say, series, let's I don't want to get when you, it's over Friday. Let's just say it's over Friday. You're yeah. leaving Saturday morning first thing. I, I I'll be honest with you. I'm one of those people where. I'm proactive instead of reactive. Okay. So a reporter told me yesterday that he hadn't bought his flight yet. I'm not like that. What I do is I buy my flight and then just keep changing it if I have to. Kind of moving the deck. So when the Lakers were in a position to win in, when they won game two, right? I had a flight that left Wednesday morning. I got a notification from it this morning that I would have left at nine o'clock in the morning direct to San Francisco. Lakers lose. I'm not going to leave on Wednesday. Okay, boom. That night, I called a travel agent, and I moved it to Saturday. There's no so, direct in right. the morning, so I got a flight that leaves at 8.45 a.m. through Denver back home, the shortest flight I could find. That's not to say that I expect it to be over, but uh, if, if it is over, once the game is done, I just check in. Rather than frantically call the travel agent while I'm trying to do stuff for my story. No. So then if the Lakers lose, then I move it to Monday. Mm-hmm. I already know how many seats available on that potential flight. On <laughs> <laughs> You're already <laughs> done your scouting. Yeah. Yeah. No. So I'm, I'm one of those people that 
I'm a preventative maintenance guy, man. I, I, I will be ready for when it does happen, but I have a car ready, everything, man. I've, I've already mailed some boxes. Um, I'm getting nostalgic. We, we ride bikes here every day, man. I'm enjoying riding a bike. I bought a bike because of being in here. Mm. Um, I picked up fishing while I've been in here. Um, went yeah. fishing about six times. Uh, but once the Rockets got knocked out, they were the last team at the Grand Floridian. And Anybody that's where had, the fishing expeditions go out of? Yeah, there were two hotels. But the, the I'll tell you is anybody who says they're catching the same fish don't know what they're talking about. Mm-mm. The place where we went fishing was a small, about the size of Manhattan. Mm. Maybe, maybe I'm tripping. But that's how big the water was. Yeah. No, it's no joke. And like the idea of stocking a lake uh, is not for those who have fished before. That's not like um, it's not like a disqualifying character of a, of a fishing expedition. It doesn't, it doesn't disqualify any sort of what, what fish you catch. Like it's still hard to catch fish. Like you still have to be talented and skilled and know what to put on the, on the line and how patient the patience that requires, like all of that, it doesn't disqualify or discredit any of the fish you catch. Yeah. The thing was, man, Tom, I had wanted to mentally, as we talked about, get through this. This It's not just work. You, you, get, you got to be here every day. And there is a lot of downtime. So one of my things was, you know, like having a room that was fit for me. Like I had my, my wine refrigerator. I had my own coffee. I like my food a certain temperature and, and things aren't totally cooked here sometimes. So I, I got a toaster oven, you know, I, I have an air humidifier. Uh, I, I tore my uh, patella tendon two years ago and I was nervous getting out the shower. So I, I bought a, a, a little thing to put outside the shower, a shower mat. So when oh, I get yeah. out the shower, I'll make sure I don't slip on my ass, you know, like just little things to make my room comfortable. Um, but also you have to do stuff outside of here. And I just, just never got into golfing, man. I don't know why they offered it, but doing something at six o'clock in the morning hasn't really been my thing. Although fishing is probably good at six in the morning. I feel like people as tall as you, Mark, aren't good golfers because it's just a lot can go wrong in that kinetic yeah. chain of, of a golf swing. Yeah. And, but with fishing, I was like, I, I got to learn something. I picked fishing over golf and just going, I love the ocean. I love water. So going on the boat and like being in the middle of this giant pond or, or lake, so to speak. And, and the challenge of catching the fish, like I was, I could barely catch anything in the beginning. And the last time we went, I caught seven. Hey now. And I made sure. Well, he all largemouth bass. Yeah. Nice. I caught two turtles too. I felt bad about that. <laughs> Yeah. Um, did you catch them in the mouth or did you catch them just like on their shell? Sometimes I do that. One was sad. on a fin and the other one, Sally, was in the head. Mm, yeah, it's it's a bummer. I felt bad happens. about that. Yeah, but um, not the fish. <laughs> but we like I had some like great challenges with fish, man. I can see how people dig it. Like one fish I caught by a tree and it tried to bring my... Uh, Try to wrap around the tree. Tried to wrap around the tree to get away. Yeah. And get me to give up. And I nah, I took that challenge and used my strength and, and, and got one of my bigger fishes, man. I, I fell in love with fishing, man. 
It's great. Sure. And it, and it's not, and there's, when you catch bass, you're not bringing it home and cooking it, but the, the catch and release aspect of it, it's, it's pure sport. Um, yeah. I, I love fishing. Um, I fish off a pier uh, every summer and it's the same deal. Like when you catch something big, they'll yeah. race under the pier and wrap itself around the, the pier uh, yeah. pylons so that it cuts the line. Yeah. Um, and so it's always a fight. It's always, it's always really fun. We'll see, man. Now, now we're going to have to go fish. Now we got to, we got to, we got to go eat when it's safe. We got to drink some of that wine. We got to yeah. go fishing. Um, this is all stuff we could probably do in new Orleans in the, uh, in the Gulf there. We could probably do all of that. So oh, I got to yeah. make the trip. Yeah. No, so, I, 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 uh, well, I live in the Bay, so you know what I want to do, which I'll challenge you to do this. I'm, I'm going to challenge okay. this on the air. At Pier 39 in San Francisco, they have boats. Yep. Okay. That wait there every day, and they'll take you deep sea fishing. These guys will just take you out there. Okay. Past the Golden Gate Bridge, out in the water. I want to go do that. Let's do it. That, I mean, that sounds like amazing. Yeah. Um, I'll get my butt up, and when you, when you come cover a Warriors game next year, I'm like, let's just go in the morning one day before the game. Let's go. Let's go fishing. I'm in, man. I'm in. It's amazing to see um, how many of you reporters have been there essentially since the beginning. Like, I know Malik has been there for a, uh, Malik Andrews yeah. from ESPN has been there for 100 plus days. You're yeah, at like Chris 87. Yeah. Chris Haynes is in there. Well, how big is that, that fraternity of people that um, are a select few? Well, well it's changed. Because they start to finish, basically. Yeah. So no, but what I mean is like there've been some rotating shares. Um, like Mark Stein is coming on. Mm-hmm. Woj is coming on. Uh, we have a, a producer at ESPN, uh, Andrea Pelkey, who left and came back. Rachel Nichols left and came back. <laughs> but I'm trying to think, like, who has been? Is I'm it really to, just the three? And like reporters that have been here the entire time. Ooh, it might be. Wow, look at you. No, there's, there's got to be somebody else. I, I don't know why. Like, Is Ben Golliver back? Ben Golliver's been here the whole time. Yep, Ben. Okay. Um, Amit came late. Wokey came late. Oh, um, Kyle Goon. Yeah. Yep. Kyle Goon has been here the whole time. So, what well, is I think the, there's what only is, been like five or six of us that have been here the whole time. What is the thing that um, now that we're heading into game five for the, for the Lakers heat series in the finals, you're heading in and when someone mentions something that happened in the bubble, what is the one thing that you're like, oh my God, that did happen while I was here? Like, is there something, either current events in the United States or in the world or inside the bubble where you sit there and you're like, that feels like it was like years ago. Like Devin Booker, the run that Phoenix Suns had. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. No, like it's just like, huh. Yeah, some of those early highlights, if you show them to me now, they seem like forever ago, like Devin Booker's shot. I was there when he hit the shot. Or or uh, the shot that uh, Doncic made. Yeah. Remember that bit? Like, that seems like forever ago. E- even like the, as Adam Silver called it, the player stoppage, work stoppage. Oh, I called okay. it a boycott, but he called it a work stoppage. That seems like forever ago. Yeah, you know, it does. Not, I mean, it just remember. I, it's funny because Zayku Smith, who my good buddy, works at at Turner. We are walking to where you get food at, and where all the, the arenas are, and they have flags every team, right? That that was in the bubble, and there's only two left. So we're like walking by all these flags. We're like, 
they're not here anymore. <laughs> like, there's all these flags as you go up. It is like only it was 22 teams and most of the flags, like 20 of the flags are useless now. But it, to think that like, I, it's like we tell stories here, like uh, back in our day. Yeah. Like, like we'll, we'll tell the newbies when they come in and like, back in our day, there were 22 teams. Yeah. You don't we know what it was The practice like. at 10 a.m. and went to the last practice at 10 p.m. I, I vividly, vividly remember doing that the first day. Doing going the to a media availability at 10 a.m. and going at 10 p.m. Like just going to practices, like being at that other end when everything was just starting. Like, like, the, like what you tripped me out by saying, you know, when you were in quarantine, you, we talked. That was so long ago to me, man. Like, uh, like I remember like saying, looking out the window, I'm like, there's a bench out there. And I know I'm going to go sit out that bench and just, just hang out. And then I realized it's too damn hot to do that here. <laughs> You're in the comforts of your AC there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, it's, an, it's a significant amount of time to be in here. And man, I, I literally, when I get off the plane, maybe I'll put some plastic over it, but I want to kiss the ground. I'll be so happy to be home, man. I mean, like, you, you won't understand. I might cry when I get there. I'll be so happy to be home. Yeah, it's going to be dope. Wow. But I do not in any way, shape, or form take this opportunity for granted, man. This is perhaps the – I've done a lot of amazing things in my career. This is probably number one. I hope we don't have to do this again. But I, I remember before I left, before I knew for sure I was coming, walking with one of me and my one of my buddies, Al Gordon, we used to go walk every day for an hour, pretty much every day for an hour and talk. And I, I remember saying, man, I hope they just let me at least come to the beginning. Mm. Like when most of the social justice stuff is going on, I, I hope they at least let me do that. And then I remember saying, well, maybe I could leave in the middle and come back, like leave for like two weeks and come back. And then, then I remember that for quarantine, I'm like, I can't do that again. It kind of seems like, like when I got here, I didn't know I was going to be here the whole time. Oh, is that felt, right? I felt like I was, nobody said nothing. And, but I think as they saw like all the social justice stuff that was happening and I'm so glad I was here when they, when they walked away, you know, kind of to, to definitely put that in perspective. I think they saw the ESPN saw the value in the undefeated having a, a role here, a daily role here. And so I'll never forget this, man. I'll never forget being a part of it. I, I always appreciate it and be thankful for that to be part of this history. Well, when I go home, I'm disappearing for a while. Sure. Yeah, as you should, man. Be a bear, <laughs> man. Hibernate. Yeah. Be a bear. All right, let's take a quick break to hear about a podcast that should be in your rotation. This is Mike Tirico introducing you to Sports Uncovered. When I lose the sense of motivation and the sense of to prove something as a basketball player, it's time for me to move away from the game of basketball. Quote, unquote, I'm back. I'm back. The two-word facts from Michael Jordan announcing the most famous comeback in NBA history. That's the most impactful two words ever. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Sports Uncovered for free wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, back to the conversation. Well, like you wrote a great piece this week that um, 
in the same way that Myers Leonard standing, uh, not where at least not kneeling for the, for the national anthem was like a big story, like months ago, because when everyone was kneeling, Myers Leonard decided to stand. Then that story kind of, you know, it wasn't a controversial thing anymore. And then when the finals happened, this whole new audience is watching this for the yeah. first time. And you sat down, or I don't know if it was physically or just over Zoom or whatever it was, a practice, but you uh, co-wrote a piece with Myers Leonard explaining his decision to not kneel with, um, with his teammates. And it reminded me just how long you've been there because I had assumed that that story had just kind of washed away. Yeah. We, we get it. We know why Myers Leonard does it, his brother, um, and, and the respect he has for Navy SEALs and, and his, it's not about uh, disrespecting African-Americans who are uh, kneeling for a cause. He gets it. And I remember just looking at that story and being like, oh yeah, there's this whole new audience yeah. that are checking into the finals and being like, well, what's, what's going on here? How yeah, come we're not yeah. outraged about this? Yeah. He was like, uh, I remember talking to him, me, me and Myers actually become pretty cool since being in here. I just casually knew him, but got to know him a lot more after, you know, his decision to stand and him explaining it, but also wearing a Black Lives Matter t-shirt while he was doing it. And we've had our own different conversations, exchange numbers. And then he, he texts me, he's like, at the game one, he's like, man, I'm trending. I can't believe I'm trending. Yeah. And he's like, man, I'd love to talk to you about it. And so respect to him because he's the one that, pushed to speak out about it again and I think the thing that's cool and I have a lot of pride in is that the undefeated to a lot of people not just black people has become a comfortable place to talk about race and talk about those situations and and we worked on the story together over the course of a couple of days um till he felt because it was his voice him feeling comfortable about what was going to be out there because you know you, you kind of do feel like naked you know, you're bearing your soul and everybody's not going to love what you had to say. But from what I've been told, the story did extremely well. And I'm, that, that's one of my favorite pieces that I've done here is talking I, to him about everything. Yeah, well, I think the, the pivotal moment in that story is when he talks to people that he grew up with or his friends back home. I don't know if he said it explicitly, but he didn't grow up around black people. He didn't yeah. grow up with friends that he could talk to about these issues. And the first time that he interacted with African-Americans was, I guess, in AAU. And for a lot of white people in the suburbs or rural areas, that is their um, exposure yeah. to different races, um, different ethnicities. And so for him, he would be getting calls being like, hey, I mean, I know you're wearing a Black Lives Matter shirt and you're down for that cause, but all lives matter. Yeah. And Myers, because he's around Udonis Haslam and Bam Adebayo and Eric Spolstra and people who, who have lived being non-white, he has a response to that in ways that are way more powerful yeah. when a white person is speaking to another white person, that likeness, actually, I think the communication power that Myers Leonard has is explaining the issues in ways that I think white people will be more receptive to when the person t telling it to them is white. Unfortunately, yeah. that is the case, but Myers is carrying that, that torch. 
Yeah, and and I think for whether it's Myers Leonard, Kyle Korver, you know, J.J. Uh, Redick, Alex Caruso, Popovich, Kerr, you know, Van Gundy, Stan Van Gundy, like, I think there's a lot of a strength that comes from white men speaking about these things, saying that Black Lives Matter, um, the, 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 it means a tremendous amount to me to see white players have Black Lives Matter on their jersey. Like every, when I see Hero being guarded by Caruso and they're both wearing Black Lives Matter jerseys, that's like, I would love to get a, a picture, a painting of that. That, that like meant a tremendous amount to me. And, you know, I, I think that uh, white voices need to be heard in this fight, man. Because a lot of times I think you got people that like just, man, here come the black dude crying again, moaning again. But if they hear from somebody that looks like them, who's from the same environment to hear Myers Leonard say, hey, I called somebody back home and explained it to him. You know, you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. If you're not in that environment, then you, you don't know that that person's pain a lot of times. Like I tell people, white people, I said, you know, there's this movie called White Man's Burden with John Travolta and Harry Belafonte. Not the greatest movie in the world, but it's about what if everything was reversed? What if the black, black people ran everything, owned most everything, basically had the privilege and the power, and it was the opposite for whites? And it's a movie that basically was out and didn't do well because it was too hit in the mouth. Yep. And I'm, too close I to remember mouth. reading that uh, white people walked out of the theater in like 20 minutes, 40 minutes. Like they didn't want to watch it. They, they didn't want to Couldn't even accept it. the premise, right? It's yeah, just like, yeah, it, it, like, yeah, it, like this is some BS. Or, yeah, yeah. Or this is frightening to me. Yeah. Um, but I think by watching the movie, maybe that could give you an understanding of what it's like to be on the other side. And the movie starts out with John Travolta brings his daughter into this toy store. And there's like all these black dolls and one white doll. And his daughter says, I want, I want this doll. Well, don't you want the white doll? No, the white doll's ugly, daddy. I want the, one of the other dolls. And if all you're seeing is if you don't see people that look like you having success, look like people that look like you having popularity, people that look, look like you showing intelligence and, and making a mark in the world, you, you, you can get self-hate. You, you, you wonder whether being you is the- uh, You start uh, believing, the, yeah, yeah. And so I think that movie, as well as anything I've ever seen that uh, shows what it's like to be black in in a in an easy to watch form. The challenge is getting the movie. <laughs> you know, white man's burden is very very hard to find. You can't get it on. Um, you could you you have to actually buy the DVD. You, it's not available for streaming anywhere. And mm. um, but there I, there was a guy at the Denver Post that I dealt with who was pretty racist. Um, and I bought, if, if he's watching now, yeah, I bought the DVD once and put it in your mailbox. It was me that bought that. Mm. Um, because I felt like in that movie, maybe it could give you some, some sympathy. You know what it was for me was, uh, I think it was in eighth grade when I read A Time to Kill by John Grisham where 
Um, I, I think people saw the movie with Matthew McConaughey and Samuel L. Jackson. There's like a pivotal moment where Matthew McConaughey, who's representing Samuel L. Jackson, who ki- ki- murdered the rapist of his daughter, like, like seven-year-old daughter, whatever it was. And, you know, Matthew McConaughey is describing the rape in the courtroom saying, you know, what they did to this girl, this, this guy's little girl. And he's describing in vivid detail and Samuel L. Jackson, obviously black, sitting there hearing Matthew McConaughey, a white lawyer, describe what these, um, these white individuals did. You know, if I could call him rednecks, I'll call him rednecks, what they did to this, to, to his girl. And he's describing exactly the play-by-play of what happened, how they did it. And it's horrifying. And then Matthew McConaughey says in the movie, um, the lawyer says, now imagine the girl is white. And it has this moment where the, uh, you know, everyone in the room just kind of like gasps. Um, and in the book, I remember just reading it. And in, the, in your head, you're, you're envisioning this little black girl who's getting raped and urinated on and all this horrible things. And then Matthew McConaughey, the way that he got people to understand the horror of it is he flipped the stereotype on, on the jury and said, now imagine the girl was, was a white girl. And it was a way for people to understand that like, it, it, people do not think this on equal level, like the stereotype, all of that systemic biases and racism and just subliminal biases that was when he got the jury to, to flip was to see this little girl, not as a black girl, but as a human being, as a white girl somehow would make people realize the horror and the atrocities of what's going on. So um, that the white man's burden movie sounds similar in that it flips, you know, what if this was flipped around? Um, But for an entire movie and not for a moment, not for a moment. That's what that like, crazy. I guess Hamilton is similar is, is what if we flip the paradigm and imagine these, you know, white, yeah. white uh, men, imagine them if they were minorities. And I think with the NBA, it's, uh, you know, the Adam Silver has said that, you know, they might go back to nor- quote unquote normalcy next season. Um but so much has happened in the bubble and I'm so glad you've been there. I mean, I remember just quoting a lot of your reporting about what words are going to be, what messages is going to be on the, are going to be on the back of jerseys. Um, you're just been out on the front of it. And so thank you for all of that is, is putting these oh, issues out there uh, for people to read. So I'm glad the Myers Leonard story did well. And a lot of people read. We do have to talk basketball for at least a little bit. And I want to get to your book, the Spencer Haywood rule, but I want to know who your finals MVP is going into this game five. Um, I think LeBron will move back in front. I think he seals it in game I, five. I, I think um, AD was in the lead by the first two games, but the last two games, LeBron has jumped back in front. Um, even though, um, yeah, I, I think he has. And then, uh, let, let, let's see who's the dinner secretly. Let's Comes see who and closes it out. And and based on what I saw in the last yeah, series. I can get behind that analogy because he was also a Red Sox closer too. Play for the A's too. I know that I'm saying, I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, he made his bones yeah. as, as, as the athletics, but yeah, just saying. No, no, he, he did. But he, um, I, I remember the last game with the Nuggets, how LeBron basically came in in the fourth quarter and shut the door down. 
I haven't seen him impose his will like that on this series. No. He had a, um, he had a good second half. But, but... Which kind of is surprising to me. That's one thing I always remembered. Even though I wouldn't say Kobe's last finals wasn't the greatest one, but there was always a sense of imposing your will. Um, although Kobe was more an offensive killer than LeBron is. More, LeBron's more of a magic facilitator kind of player. He's more surgical. Where he's, yeah, he's uh, but I could see if it's a fourth quarter and it's a, it's a like, speaking of Boston, I, I've always thought Paul Pierce was one of the best closers I've ever seen. Massage and a four-point lead to win a game. They just give him the ball. He would come down, hit a mid-range jumper, go get fouled, pass it to open Ray Allen for a three or Kevin Garnett for a mid-range jumper. He, like, just was masterful at that. And I think that for the Lakers to get this over with, I mean, Anthony Davis is outstanding, but I think it's going to take that kind of Magic Johnson kind of leadership, uh, get the get the game over mentality for LeBron to not only close the series, but potentially vault him to MVP. I think I have LeBron right now by a hair. Um, yeah. I put the poll up on my Twitter and 68% say LeBron, 32% say AD. And of course, this is going into game five. Lots of stuff can happen in game five, but he could actually win. What KCP's got 1%? <laughs> Rondo. There's a Rondo had, of KCP. Yeah, KCP coming in. Uh, he played awesome. Both ends of the floor. I mean, having to trail Duncan Robinson. I know D- Duncan had a, had a pretty nice game yesterday, but to trail him and to be as aggressive as he was, not just from downtown, but driving the basket, KCP played yeah. out of his mind. Um, that was great. And then AD is shooting ridiculous percentages. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I mean, it's like 60% from the floor, 55% from three, and he hasn't missed a free throw. Um, you know, you stack his numbers against LeBron. It's, it's basically identical. The thing that LeBron of course has on him is assists, but man, it's just, you're dealing with, two juggernauts here and you could be to your point if it ends friday whoever has the better game probably will get the nod but even then it's hard to it's even hard to slice who's gonna have who has the better game like both of them have been really really strong here and even last night but but i think they're they're even like like i'm with you i think lebron has it by a hair but if ad comes in and seals it with a 40 point performance could lean in his direction, man. Yeah, and he's Definitely got to lean. Like, I'm not, I'm not, if, if I'm one of the voters, just because LeBron is amazing doesn't guarantee him to vote. You know what I mean? Like, I don't just vote for people because of their name. Right. And um, the, the I, narrative I, of LeBron not getting MVP in the regular season, I feel like there is some, some momentum to kind of correct for that by the media that have been with LeBron this entire time and seeing how good LeBron is and Giannis going home early. Not to say people are going to, you know, judge LeBron. Well, I, I, would, I would hope that people vote based on what they see and not vote based on sentimental yeah. reasons. You know what I mean? Um, like, ultimately, the best man should get it. Whoever was the best man, I don't care what the back of your jersey is. If, if, if Anthony Davis scores 40 and, and leads them to victory, then he's the guy. Yeah. And he had a big shot last night, the dagger with 39 seconds yeah. left. Um, yeah. So that's going to be in play too, is just how, not just your numbers, but when those, when those moments happen. Um, so we'll see. Um, 
I want to talk about your book here that came out on Tuesday. Uh, you co-wrote with Gary Washburn. It's called the Spencer Haywood rule. And man, uh, speaking of LeBron, Spencer kind of thought of himself as the LeBron of his era in some, he, he identified a lot with LeBron. Um, yeah. I was reading there at the end of the story at the end of the book. And I was surprised by that, but Spencer Haywood lived and continues to live a hell of a life. Like oh I had no idea half of this stuff. So thank you for writing this book because entertaining. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, for right from the jump, we're talking about Mississippi and his up, upbringing and picking cotton and his mother and his, the fact that the dude, um, the dude would, would eat roadkill would, uh, would, would eat raccoon and say, Hey, you know, raccoon is kind of stringy, but uh, if you mix it with uh, rice and beans, it's actually pretty good. <laughs> like I'm like sitting here like, like there's a science to eating roadkill. Like as long yeah. as it's fresh. Yeah. And, and like rabbits, like, Oh, we used to eat rabbits, but if they have worms in its neck, like we do not eat that. And I'm like, I wouldn't, I don't know if yeah. I would eat any oh, of the things like he would eat, he would, boy. he would stab possum in the neck and then eat the possum. Like, no, I am not eating possum. Possum is the ugliest thing I've ever seen. Like, I don't care if it tastes like, um, like Wagyu beef. I'm not yeah. eating a possum simply because of how ugly it is. And, and I wish we had video of him talking about it because he, he talks about it now like it's eating a, a Ruth Chris steak or something. Like, the, the, like, like they're eating a roadkill, eating a, the rodents, like eating the stuff that he would eat. Uh, the Mr. Booty Face story, which oh, I, yeah. I, I kind of feel like I need to save that for people to read it. Um, but he, you know that he... Just Dude, that's that was what they ate in his environment. Rocky Mountain Oysters is all I'll say. Rocky Mountain Oysters yeah. is all I'll say about booty face. But he he like they ate from the earth. They couldn't afford groceries. I don't know if there were any groceries to get, you know, but they ate from the earth. What part of his life did you have most fun writing about or most most intrigued you about him? Because there's so many, whether it's the Spencer Haywood rule, essentially, you yeah. know, the fact that he went to the Supreme Court to fight for his ability to go to the NBA before four years of college, because at the time he wasn't able to do that. Yeah. Um, and he had to go I, all the way and file an antitrust lawsuit to get that. To happen. Well, I wrote through the Olympics, birth through the Olympics, Gary Washburn from the Boston Globe. He wrote the rest of it. So for me, like the Mississippi stuff is just fascinating. Um, I hope and you can tell me if I'm wrong. I, I hope that I vividly gave you, made you feel like you were in the cotton fields with him. Mm -hmm. and, For sure. I, and, and I told Spencer, like, I need details. I like details. Like how he used to clean the water for the field hands. So when they, the people used to drink and put tobacco and the dirty tobacco in the water and stuff like that. And he was like, no, nah, we're going to clean this out. And he took pride in bringing clean water to the fields and and cleaning the shoes the right way at the golf course for these racist men and just like it, it takes you into Mississippi that like in a way that I think people need to know I mean there's a there's an anecdote of him going to the country club a white country club with Ku Klux Klan members and they're talking about how when JFK was murdered was was assassinated they were happy because he was an N lover right yeah and the black workers at the at the country club are overhearing this 
And it's one thing to hear that. It's another for those same country club members that you're serving to say, go out in the golf course. And these are kids. These aren't adults either. These are kids. And we're going to literally tee off on you is go run in that, in that field over there. And we're going to line up golf balls and we're going to basically do a shooting range on you guys go run. And they would, they would hit golf balls into a field of, I mean, horrifying stuff. This is, this is not like generations ago. This is Spencer Haywood's childhood. Yeah. We, we actually even talked about, like I asked him about, have you gotten any mental, like ever talked to a site? Like he has PTSD from this stuff, man. It's, it's uh, like, it's really horrifying. Like that story was painful to write. I wasn't fun to write about being a kid standing in a line. They weren't running around, standing in a line where people were teeing off on them, hitting balls to celebrate JFK dying. And one kid basically getting brain damage off of it. Uh, it's, I think, and maybe I'm wrong, but if there was a Spencer Haywood movie, it would be absolutely crazy. I, I even think a 30 for 30 would be great, but a movie? A movie, I think, from start to finish. Would be, like, really... Like, I, I wish Spike Lee could take this book and turn it into a movie. Speak it into existence, Mark. Yeah, Let's man. make it happen. Spike, I'm talking to you, Spike. Read the book, <laughs> Spike. Or, or uh, what's my, my man's name that did uh, Black Panther? I need him to read it, too. Mm-hmm. Well, there is... Um, I mean, I mean you, you talk about Amon... Um, in the in the story, how he's married to, if not the most famous supermodel, uh, you know, he, and she didn't even know basketball, and he didn't know the modeling world, and just being in New York together, he was playing for the Knicks at the time. I mean, you can put, I mean, there's so many chapters in this book where I'm like, is this go? Is this one lifetime? Yeah. Um, and the drug issues, the drug issues, the Supreme Court. It's wild. It's wild. So everyone needs to go read, get this book. It's on Amazon. Um, it came out this week, Mark Spears and, and Gary Washburn. It's an amazing story. And it's one that I think is worth retelling now. And anytime social justice issues or F, um, social unrest happens, like Spencer Haywood's in the middle of all of it. And I think I want to thank you also for writing this book, because this morning I watched Remember the Time, the music video, the music video by, oh, was he, by, he was not iman was yeah yeah yeah. she yeah. was the, Just the queen you watched it no because i i had i wanted to google her and just kind of brush up on all the things that she what she did because i remember that she was married to david bowie at one point yeah. but she was married to spencer haywood for like 10 years they had a child together yeah. so i was looking up um no magic's in the video magic johnson's in the video yeah. Eddie Murphy's the Pharaoh. It's it's Matt. It's Michael Jackson from the Dangerous album. Yeah. Remember the time? And he it's ancient Egypt. And I'm watching this video this morning. It's a nine minutes, like a mini movie. And I'm just blown up. Like there's magic. Magic yeah. is one of like the bodyguard. yeah, bodyguards or something like that. Security guy. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if him and it, it'd be. I wonder if Iman and Magic had a conversation about Spencer back then. I gotta believe so, right? So that was in 92, 93, maybe. Spencer was on that team with him in 79, 80, which he ended up not being on the championship part of it because of drugs. Think about this. For those who are listening who haven't read the book, Spencer Haywood was going through a coke binge on that 79, 80 Lakers team in the finals. 
and the team imagine if the if the lakers right now just suspended dwight howard for the rest of the series yeah like imagine start like this like central figure on the team he's not magic right but one of the key members of the team he showed up to practice and as as gary washburn and mark spears write about passed out in practice and because he was hung over and still high from the night before and the team paul westhead jerry west um they all sat down and just said this is it you're done yeah and that's in the middle of the finals yeah <laughs> like it, no there's a there's a lot man i i'm not a big great book reader but i love an easy read and i do think this is like it's it's an easy read because there's just so many great stories, man. Like it's great storytelling. He's a great storyteller. He is. And All he's, true. It's crazy. It's an amazing book, and I want to again thank you for making me rewatch. Remember the time because it's it's a crazy video. Um, Debo's in that one. I got to watch it again. Yeah, Debo right. is one of the guards that tries to chase down Michael Jackson, yeah. and there's this awkward kissing scene with Iman and Michael Jackson because it's just. It's crazy. And, my, and Magic just shows up with his black mascara and it's, it's, yeah. it's great. So uh, thank you for that. It's a, it's. it's uh, yeah, a good, man, uh, I was telling people I used to, it's funny because a lot of black people are very familiar with 80, 80s rock music. The reason being is we used to wait for these Michael Jackson videos, these Prince videos, Madonna videos, Whitney Houston videos, Lionel Richie videos. In the midst before BET came about and waiting for these videos, you would hear, that's a nice day for white wedding. Or you would hear, vacation's all I ever wanted. <laughs> so it's funny, if you get some black people that are like between like 40 and 55 and you play like white 80s music, they know all the words. Again, as a white... All the words because we would have to wait. It would be on. And you're like, you know what? That song actually isn't that bad. You know what I mean? <laughs> and you associate it with like, you know, those, those. Michael like Jackson. I used to like my, one of my first albums I bought was Devo. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I used to like Devo. But anyways, I'm on it. But Dangerous, Dangerous was like the, my mom would play that when we were carpooling. I was six years old when that came out. So your mom liked it, huh? My mom loved Dangerous. We would play that all the time in the car, uh, in the minivan with my three siblings and my dad. And we would go on these road trips and we would just listen to that fr front to back. And the thing is, like, I, I, I didn't grow up listening to the other Michael Jackson albums just because I was, it was before my time. But that album, I know every lyric of every song. So hmm. when that music video came out and I got to watch it this morning, I said, like, oh, yeah, all this. I forgot Eddie yeah, Murphy. Yeah, I got to watch some of those old, old those old like movies that Michael Jackson made basically. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, man, uh, I do, before you go, speaking of, uh, booty face and, uh, <laughs> the things he ate, um, I wanted to ask you about, um, the thing, <laughs> this video I saw on your Instagram, people should follow you on Instagram because it's great. Not only will you get all the news in the NBA, but you get a lot of the scenes and food and all that stuff. Uh, in the bubble, but um, salted egg fish skin. Oh, so I don't know how you struck it up with this very famous actor, Daniel. So Daniel Wu, I met two years ago. Um, Mike Brown went to this restaurant. Me and Mike Brown know each other pretty well. The Warriors' assistant. 
we have a mutual friend who owns a restaurant in Oakland called Kanye. Shout out to Yusef Spears, who we believe we are cousins. And it's a Cuban restaurant. So after one of the games, I went to Kanye. Mike was there with a contingent of people. And Daniel Wu was there. I didn't know who the hell Daniel was at the time. Daniel was obviously a famous actor. Um, and he came up to me and told me that he really liked my work. And he's a huge basketball fan. He enjoyed it. And I'm like, yeah, hey, thanks, man. Like, not knowing, like, yeah, who yeah. he was. And then I did some research later. I'm like, no. And I followed him on Instagram. like, oh, he got, like, two million followers on Instagram. Like, and, and did some more research on him. And then, like, we would just hit each other up. And we became friends. Uh, Daniel's um, uh, a great actor, does a lot of martial arts, uh, Badlands television show into the badlands gotta check it out it's like the new new way bruce lee it's funny me him and w kamal bell are friends and we have a chat together now no way and we've walked together during the pandemic and stuff like that got some exercise together so daniel's like yo i got something to send you to the bubble i'm like you got all these snacks i got this uh this fish eggs fish skin yes chips so- or it's it's salted egg fish skin so it yeah. comes in a little bag and it says on the there's a little sticker on the top that says like warning very super addictive or something like that yeah it's not <laughs> it's not super addictive it's super awful and uh but he said it to me he, he he put it in the mail so i felt like i needed to try it so i did I noticed there was a big gap in time between when you posted that you got it and then you ate, you actually ate it. You did a video yeah. of you eating it for the first time. It took me about a month to eat it. And he kept asking me, when are you going to try it? When are you going to try it? When are you going to try it? But I knew. I just knew. And when you, it's one of those things where when you open the bag. Yeah, you took a big smell, sniff. Smell I, like, I, no, I didn't have to take a big sniff. When I opened the bag, it's like death flew out. It just smelled horrible, man. And, and, I, and I'm trying to be respectful to my friend and I'm going to do this. And I didn't even eat a big piece. No, you didn't. And I tried it and it, and it tasted how it smelled. It was Salted bad. And then it had this little egg. after kick in the end that like punched you in the mouth. And I, and I ended up having some colleagues like Malika Andrews who were like, no, I want to try it. And, and they all got the same response. Not I don't addictive. Know what happened to that bag, but I, I think it's uh, been in the. Uh, I don't know. It's 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 in some. It, it it's destroyed. Did you put something. it in like a biohazard receptacle, like by the testing? No, I, I gave it to Malika Andrews because she wanted to try it, and she actually put it on video too. And what she did with it after that, I have no idea. I, <laughs> I didn't. I think she tossed it. I don't think she kept it and ate more. I, I, but it's it's definitely an acquired taste. Yeah, you said I need I need some water, both probably because it's very salty, but also because you needed to flush that out. It was more the latter. Yeah, Mark Spears from the Undefeated ESPN's The Undefeated, uh, Spencer Haywood rule, awesome book, learned so much. Um, you can read this in like you know two hours, like front to back. It's so, it's such a breezy read, and you get a, it's really entertaining. And wait till you get to learn about Mr. Bootyface. So the legendary uh, Mr. Bootyface. Straight up. All right. Um, All thank right, you brother. so much, man. And safe travels. I hope you kiss that ground when you get back man. to Oakland and you uh, you enjoy that bubbly on the last night. All right, brother. 
All right, that'll do it for this week's episode with Mark J. Spears from The Undefeated. Uh, Big shout out to him for coming on. He's a very busy guy promoting his new book. Remember, the Spencer Haywood rule. Go pick it up at Amazon. Go catch him on ESPN's The Undefeated or on ESPN. Also catch his... uh, his Instagram has 29,000 followers. Not the half million that he has on Twitter. Um, he still has to catch up to Daniel Wu. But um, go follow him on Instagram at Mark J. Spears. He's awesome. Um, and if you haven't listened to last week's episode, we got up with David Fisdale, the former head coach of the New York Knicks and the Memphis Grizzlies, who was Eric Spolscher's top assistant with the Miami Heat during the championship years, who also happened to be a diehard Lakers fan growing up. So he is very torn about the NBA Finals. A great conversation with him. And also check out the pod with Stan Van Gundy. I um, appreciate everyone uh, with the NBA Finals coming to a close. I want to thank everyone for listening to this podcast during uh, the NBA's restart. Um, Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. And uh, until next time on The Haber Show.